Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMNM, and welcome to the MMNM Podcast. My special guest today is Walter Gear III. The last time Walter joined us, he was SVP and Group Creative Director for Digital Experience and Innovation at TBWA World Health. Over the summer, Walter joined VML YNR as Executive Creative Director, focused on experience design. He works within the agency's health practice to drive innovative design solutions, as well as across the agency's other practices. He joins me for our monthly diversity and inclusion update. We'll also touch on what he's been up to in his work and on social media, some of the uh, initiatives he's been focusing on in DNI, uh, what drives his passion in, in that area, and his thoughts on the space as a whole. Happy New Year, everybody. I hope your holidays were safe and enjoyable. Uh, just a couple of housekeeping items, uh, and then we'll get into the interview with Walter. MMM's Hall of Femme closes up January 13th, so everybody please uh, make sure to get your submissions in by then. And uh, stay tuned for the MMN Awards, which is launching on January 20th. You'll see the new entry kit launch for that uh, very shortly. Now back to our special uh, guest, Walter Gear III. Welcome back to the podcast, Walter. Hey, Mark. Thanks so much for having me again. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Uh, I guess the last time you were here, again, was about six months ago. Uh, give us a quick update on your move to VML YNR last summer. How are things going? Yeah, it was literally about a month later, I ended up heading over there. Uh, I can't say enough about it. Um, you know, went over there, took a role as the executive creative director, experience design. And um, it's been really exciting working with so many different and unique brands. Um, I'd say like 65% of my job is actually running experience design at the, out of the uh, health agency side. Um, and then the other side of my kind of world then is working like non-health brands like uh, Walgreens, which is a new business that we just won. Uh, it's been great. And, and the nice thing about it is it's um, nice to be at a place that thinks the way I do. I've been t- talking about experience design for so long and just experiences and why experiences matter. And they are the experienced brand agency. So it was, uh, it was a match made in heaven. <laughs> yeah, very nice. I can, I can see that you know, from afar. Uh, so very happy for you. Congrats on that. Thank you. Um, now, while you were at TBWA World Health, of course, um, you led an internal effort along with Wally Holloway and Brian Gaffin to ampl- amplify stories of black health and raise awareness of health disparities. And that effort, of course, was dubbed Black Health Now. And that's what we were talking about when you were here last time. We're encouraging you know, black employees to share their experiences with the healthcare system in a series of videos. Uh, looked like a really, you know, successful start. There was a number of live streams as well, you know, with, with uh, you know, diverse voices and really drawing a lot of attention to an issue that um, really deserved a lot of attention. Can you give us a little bit of an update on that to the extent that, that you can? I know you're not really involved in it anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, upon departure, the, the last conversations we were having was really around making sure that we were talking directly to the Black community with people that could inspire them right, could really kind of talk to them and teach them about self-care and the importance of self-care. Uh, clearly, you know, with the, you know, the disparities in numbers that were coming out were, were so horrific that, um, you know, we were one of the few people actually having those real conversations, let alone an agency, right, which is like a few far in between, you know, any folks that would actually stand up and hold those type of conversations. Uh, but where we left was on a really high, high point, right, and, and, you know, engaging, you know, thousands of people uh, live at a time where people were really clamoring at, learning more about these issues and, and learning more about how they can actually work on eating proper foods and, and cooking properly with people like Marcus Samuelson uh, and, and talking to influencers about things like, 
you know, how you actually can, you know, cook when you live in, in a food desert and how you can shop and all these things. So it was incredibly inspiring uh, and uplifting. And, and I can't say much about, uh, you know, enough about that opportunity. I know they're still working with some 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 big clients over there and, and joining them in some of the conversations. Uh, and the intent was that, you know, at some point we were going to move that into really making a real conscious effort to change a thing uh, as opposed to just kind of showing these live streams, like how can we then move into the real world and do something that can truly impact people's lives? It's good to, to hear that, uh, you know, they're still doing their thing. Let's let's also talk about some of the, the initiatives that you've been involved in on the diversity and inclusion front, you know, since since then. You co-founded um, a really interesting website called diversecreatives.com, which uh, helps, as its name suggests, people of diversity to find jobs, of creative jobs in, in the agency world. Tell us about how that came about. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, last summer, summer before, um, I, you know, I was in this moment of feeling like, man, I don't, I don't know many black creatives at all, or many people that look like me that do what I do. So off the whim, I started going through LinkedIn and doing random searches and just trying to find other creative executives. So I was trying to start with like VP and above. Um, I had a list of maybe like 25 people. And then randomly, this guy reaches out to me, uh, who ended up being my partner on this, uh, Ron Lewis. And he's like, hey, you know, you just came up on my timeline. And, you know, I've I was just like, you know, surprised to see another black creative like me and, you know, your unicorn. And, and, and I was working on this list of trying to find all these black creatives was wondering if you want to work on it with me. And I was like, wow, OK, uh, Tommy couldn't be any better because I have a list as well. And he was like number three on mine. And I was like number like seven or eight on his. So <clears throat> it was it was really interesting and how we kind of came together. But we really thought along the lines of like, how should we do this? What should we do it? How should we, how do we launch it? What's the database look like? And we took so long and it never even happened. Fast forward to, you know, pandemic hitting and, and then, you know, Ahmad and the murders and whatnot. And then shortly after that agency saying they were going to be doing all this work, uh, but they couldn't find the talent. And we thought, well, this is ridiculous for one. And for two, let's actually prove that we do exist because we know we're out there. So truth be told, the the first step ron was like hey i bought the url we're done and that like was the initial push of like oh okay now i guess we really do have to do something and then he's like oh and by the way here's a form and i said okay well let me use my platform to to, to fill it up so i went to linkedin uh did a post i said hey you know where with bipac community at where are the creatives at please fill out this form and truth be told when ron and i were talking about what to do with it our original thought was if we only get like 150 200 people we can't do anything Right, because then we'd prove the industry's point. Three days later, we had 1,600 people uh, put their name on the list. And we were both floored, right? We knew we were out there, but like we didn't know we were going to come through that that fast with that many people just from one LinkedIn post that I did. So at that point, we were just like, oh my gosh, we need to build this immediately. So we took the following eight days and, uh, and literally launched the site. Now we actually have a little over 2,600 uh, people on it. Uh, from from across the U.S., some in Canada, some in the islands as well, in the Caribbeans, a few uh, in Europe. And what's been amazing about it is the number of, of responses that we've got from people and notifications and, and messages from people saying, you know, I got a job, thank you very much, or you know, chief executives that are telling telling us almost daily, hey, you know, we're looking at your list to pull talent, thank you very much, we're finding them. Uh, so really, at the end of the day, that was primarily around you know the fact that we wanted to prove the industry wrong. Uh, and we wanted to essentially take an excuse off the table. So basically, um, you, you made it easy for, for uh, 
everybody to find uh, diverse creatives, diverse talent, which which removes a big excuse that that there is out there among hiring managers, and that is, well, these people don't exist. We can't find them to fill roles. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of sad and unfortunate that it took the two of us to do this. Like someone should have done this before. We always talk about the fact that look, we don't want to be doing this. We're hoping we don't have to do this in another year or two from now. Like LinkedIn could come out and, and create a feature. And then it would just completely kill our platform. And, and we'd love for that to happen, right? We just hope the right person listens so they can actually go and actually do that type of initiative. What was interesting is after we launched it, there were folks who weren't actually happy about it. Folks who mm. said like, hey, you know, like this takes money off my plate because I am actually paid to find this talent. You know, you should charge for it or maybe we should do something together. And our mm. thought was absolutely not. Like we are not trying to make a single sent off of this the the entire point is to remove the friction point right to allow for the agencies or companies in the you know potential employee to get closer together um and that's what we did so we pissed a few people off but you know it is what it is i mean this is to do good and and we went in our own pockets to kind of fund this and do whatever we had to do to to get it up and, and running we should also mention that that ron is vp and creative director at mccann health and, yes. and you're, you know, obviously uh, well vested in the, in the health side too. So I'm sure there's a number of creatives on there with, with health experience. I'm talking to you, healthcare agency hiring managers. Uh, this this could be a good good lead uh, source for you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, what I'd say too is I think that as an industry as a whole, um, you know, we need to do, especially the agency side, right? And then of course, like the health side as well. We all need to do a better job of assessing talent and bringing in people from different backgrounds and different spaces. You wonder why tech companies get it right all the time. It's because tech companies are pouching from us and everyone else. Like they're just pulling pulling in talent. They don't care where the talent comes from. And I think on the agency side, we're so so concerned with finding someone with X amount of years of agency experience that it makes it harder. And God forbid you talk about that the health side. There really is not that many black people that on the health side. I know a significant amount that would do it, but they just need the opportunity. Speaking of that, are there are there any anecdotes about sort of placements of note, you know, either senior or I know you, you do all the way from uh, internships all the way up to senior level that, that you'd feel comfortable sharing that, that sort of arose from diversecreatives.com? From from junior to senior level, right? So so we've had uh, GCD, a GCD uh, at, at a small agency come through there uh, and a lot of mid level and then a lot of lower level. And, and, and this, again, goes back into a larger problem of you know, we often feel that diversifying a, a company um, or agency uh, is putting a lot of people in, right? But it matters where they come and where they place because the bulk of what we're seeing is them putting on them in like entry level positions. And when they don't see someone at the top that necessarily looks like them, then there's this feeling of, well, I don't know that I have a path to get there. Uh, and then because of, again, lack of representation that, you know, that's more senior than you, there's this kind of like, I don't know if I feel like I really fit in or belong here. So I tell folks like, you know, you want to talk about diversity and, and what that looks like. Well, let's start at the top, right? It's, it's making a seat at the table at the top and all of that stuff will then trickle down. So that's why it's also important, uh, as you say, that you're filling roles, you know, from, from junior to senior. Uh, it's just important to have a, a new pipeline of, of fresh talent from the black community, the brown community, people of color, as it is to have people of senior rank in the, in the company that look like them so that they feel comfortable assimilating, moving up the ranks, and that they're not the only person that looks like them in the room, which is the, the big problem that's been, you know, plaguing the industry for so long. Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. And and look, I get that it's it's difficult for some people, but I think that, you know, right now is a moment where being uncomfortable is okay, right? Asking questions is okay and asking for help is okay.
You're very active on social media, as anybody who you know knows you is, is well aware of, and you're you're a great follow, uh, if I may say so. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sure. And uh, so you, you you posted a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago, um, where you posed the question, you know, in a nutshell, uh, what happened you know, after the killing of George Floyd, you know, in, in police custody. Uh, there was obviously a lot of um, action, you know, companies dedicated millions of dollars toward inclusion programs, anti-racism charities, Black-owned businesses, you wrote. And then what happened? Unless I completely missed it, and I may have, I have yet to see any updates over six months later. Am I wrong? And you put this out there, um, and, you know, you've got a lot of followers, so, so you uh, must have struck a chord here because you got... 331 likes, 83 comments. And, uh, you know, just just to read a couple of them here, you know, somebody quoted a a study um, that said that uh, 78% of respondents believe that purpose is now more important as a result to the disruption to society. However, 49% of brand respondents and 44% of agency respondents admit that their company either doesn't have a diversity inclusion policy at all, or that is not a focus. One other comment, and this is a woman from Omnicom Health Group, actually. She said, the urgency of the moment has passed for the corporations. They made their proclamations, made some DE&I hires, and considered the work to be done. There will be no accountability from the industry until this issue starts impacting their pockets. Clients have to start demanding accountability or nothing will change. So what, what do you take away from this? I say this all the time. People have short-term memories, right? Like I was... I was walking through an aisle of a store uh, a couple days ago, actually, um, and saw a magazine. And they had and not to get political, but they had mentioned Trump. Trump, excuse me. And um, the article on the cover it would mention his his impeachment and something he had said about it. But for a moment, I I literally was like, oh my god, I, I completely forgot he was impeached like only a few mm-hmm. months ago, right? And I say that because you know, again, we have short term memories, and and and. I believe that while companies, I'm sure, meant good, right, and, and meant no harm, I believe that a lot took advantage of the moment, which a lot of people do, right? The whole game here, marketing, when you're selling stuff, whatever, is about relevancy. How can I be relevant in a moment that actually matters to someone to elicit an emotion, right? And the emotion in, on, on in this side was, okay, well, let's get people to feel a certain way and let's get people to feel like yes we're a part of this change we're a part of this moment we're a part of this movement and we're going to post this black square on our on our on our instagram page and we're going to post black lives matter on our site in the moment it might be this kind of feel good hurrah we're you know charging full steam ahead and then millions of like literally millions of dollars were supposed to be spent and now i just i just i post that out of frustration of the fact that i don't hear that conversation happening now if you're going to stand up on a soapbox and and, and you scream from the top of the mountains and the hills that you're going to spend all this money and do all this stuff to help drive change i would like to know that six months later you might have done something or maybe stand up on that same soapbox and say we're still trying, and this is what our tr- attempt has thus far looked like. We all need to hold people accountable. And if we don't have these conversations, and this is why I'm very intentional about the things that I post on social media. Everything I post is for a reason, and, and especially on LinkedIn. And my intent is to continue the conversation. And, and if I can ignite some type of fire uh, underneath other people and to get other people to share and join in on the conversation, then the rest of the world will see as well. And, and you know, I can't, I'm not this major influencer with millions of followers. But I know if I can actually get one person to to listen and, and be inspired, then then I've done my work, so to speak. It's sorely uh, needed. I'm glad you're doing it. MM&M did a diversity and inclusion survey amongst healthcare agencies a couple of years ago. And the agencies, you know, we asked them to open up, you know, and share uh, the number of, uh, you know, non-Caucasian staff in their ranks. And um, there, there was, you know, 
to put it mildly, a lot of uh, hesitancy around the effort. Yeah. It, it's 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 refreshing in a way to, to see. I'm sorry that it took what it, what it took, which obviously you know the horrific deaths of, of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and, and countless others. But the nation's reckoning with its systemic racism was what it took to push the agencies over the edge, I, I suppose, and um, and to, to get them to uh, be more transparent. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But in terms of finishing up this this piece about the urgency of the moment passing, why aren't more organizations making changes in their leadership and boards and philanthropic focus and investment of, of DNI, et cetera? There is a fear of if I make this type of change, how does that now affect me? And this is just a truth, like a fact, right? And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not upset at anybody, mad at anybody, whatever. I just think that a lot of people are in a position where I have worked with my team for since we were teenagers or since we were in college, right? And if I now have to create another role uh, at the C-suite level, that now means that I might have to get rid of my friend. And I know my friend and my friend's family and our kids hang out together. So there's this fear of like change means or bringing on additional people means now that that impacts me and my, my pockets. And that's not the case, right? You look at most, most, most creative agencies, agencies as a whole, like how many CCOs do you see? Tons, right? We can create opportunities if we want to, but there's a fear. And, and, and that is what's unfortunate. I look, there has been a handful of, 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 of hires, the right hires, like Kirk McDonald, right? And, and, and he became C, uh, CEO of uh, BBDO, I believe it was. But I just don't know that we're seeing it the same. And I've said this before, like, I don't know that we're seeing the same type of movement we saw for the Me Too movement. While that was led by a black woman, um, you know, white women ended up kind of really kind of taking, owning that. And then they were the people that were the most successful because of that, right? And, and they were taking people from like a director role and skipping a VP and going to SVP. Right, but we still haven't seen that level of, of movement movement for us. And I'd also argue that we as a whole, and back to our earlier point of why I'm so intentional with my post, need to need to talk more about this, right? Need to have more conversations about it. I tell other black executives as well, there is a fear sometimes of using your voice, right? I, because there's this thought that if I use my voice to say this thing, that I'm gonna make my company and my team feel uncomfortable. So I don't know if I should ruffle any feathers. Uh, and it's unfortunate, right? So I tell people all the time that I think the fastest impact that we're going to have for people of color is for people who are in positions like myself to hire other be- uh, people of color, right? Because if I have the opportunity to hire someone, then like I can make direct impact today, right? So you don't necessarily, if we, if we wait for someone else to say, okay, great, we're going to fix it. The numbers have been the same for the past like, 15 years, right? The last time there was a lawsuit against agencies, they made them show their, their numbers and numbers did not change like a single point over the past, like, I think it was like 15 years now. So, you know, while we, we are more confident in our, in our voices and when, what we're able to say right now, I, I think that um, we need to ensure that we are doing more as a people. And then we, again, need to go back to holding these companies and these executives accountable. The New York Times should come out and write and, and, and press all these companies to say, hey, you 10 guys, you said you were going to do this. What happened? Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's the type of visibility we need. Um, right. And it's unfortunate we, we have, haven't seen that yet. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be my next question is why haven't more brands pressured their agencies on this? You know, and, and I was wondering what kind of conversations you're hearing in the agency world about that. Absolutely. Look, I mean, we, we've seen some folks, you know, the Motel 6 issue, right? And then the agency out of Houston, uh, you know, that became a big deal. I tell people, all of this could change with one brand, P&G. P&G 
largest spender in advertising in the world, if P&G went to their agencies and said, hey, guess what? If you want to continue receiving my dollars, I need to make sure that my creative is more diverse. The teams that you have are more diverse. Like anyone who's working on my account, it needs to be a fully diverse team, a team that's representative of what the U.S. demographic looks like today. Mm-hmm. If they did that one, every agency would fall in line in literally days. And then every other brand would follow in suit. Everyone. One client. That's it. Yeah, that's, that would be the tipping point. The, the, some of the numbers did come out over the summer or some updates on the numbers uh, came out over the summer from a number of agencies. And they indicated a significant underrepresentation of non, non-Caucasian staff. You know, no surprise there. AdAge reported in October that uh, every major agency and holding company now has a diversity and inclusion chief, and it's uh, the advertising's hottest job. I think the role is kind of nonsense, right? So, and I say that, and I know I know some, and I and I appreciate everything they do and, and who they are and the impact that they're making. But I think that unless you're reporting to see to unless that role reports to a CEO, and unless that role has a budget, right? There's no impact. But what we're hiring is a fall person. When you see diversity officers in droves leaving the advertising space, right? And going brand side. And that should tell you that there's a, there's a, there's a greater problem and that like, Hey, you know what? I'm not going to get caught up in this shit when all the chips fall. So, you know, I say diversity needs to happen at the executive level with everyone, right? Any person that is responsible for hiring should be well-versed, well-trained and, and, and have that kind of thought of, you know, importance of diversity in, in the workforce, Right. The stats are out. There's plenty of reports out there that in research that shows that companies that are more diverse, especially on the senior executive level, make like an upwards of like 30 percent more revenue. Like that's crazy. So who wouldn't want to make more money? So I say, you know, the role of chief diversity officer. Okay, well, maybe it's like a culture person. I don't know. But like that role should be divvied up across every single person who has the ability to hire at a company. Period. Yeah, right. Everybody needs, like you said, to have the skills to and or to understand the importance of, of diverse hiring. Yeah. Closer to home here for, for our magazine and, and perhaps some of your clients as well, Pharma uh, and their efforts. You know, the uh, women of color in Pharma held a roundtable uh, this past summer. I'm not sure how familiar you are with that group, but um, they have been kind of uh, leading the charge in terms of what, what you're saying in terms of trying to make the life sciences industry more deliberate um, and intentional. In, in their efforts. And shortly after this roundtable, at which they also put out a playbook, you know, to kind of help companies operationalize uh, these kinds of initiatives, uh, Bristol Myers Squibb announced a $300 million diversity and inclusion effort to not only increase diversity of its workforce, but also work on its uh, clinical trials. Absolutely. And uh, J&J, uh, just a, f- a few weeks ago, also came out with a $100 million effort, which builds on a $10 million effort that they announced shortly after George Floyd's uh, death, which does all of that and also has a lot of external you know, equity um, initiatives in the community. But we haven't really seen any other companies other than those two announce such, such big initiatives. Do you think that the, uh, you know, we'll see more of those you know, in the coming year amongst the, the pharma companies? I would really like to hope so, right? Because I mean, so many of these things that we, we know affect people of color in a significant way. Sickle cell, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like that, that is a, a real issue that let's be, be honest, and I'm not trying to downsize anyone with, with cancer, but it's just as bad as cancer, right? Life expectancy and and the pain and what they go through is just as bad as cancer. There are a lot of issues. And and of course, I'll go back to COVID, right? Like that's a no brainer. So we've seen how that that has made an impact on the community. 
And I think that we we know that like it's important that they focus on that, and they have to. I mean, we you mentioned for a minute ago like clinical trials. Like if you dig on any like clinical trials that anyone is doing, there's a significant lack of, of people of color and, and, and black people, right? And 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 you can go down the list of folks that are even working on drugs and you know solutions for people of color that aren't totally testing people of color, right? Um, and that's a problem. But like, there's, it's a, it's a it's a double sided sword, right? A double edged sword. Um, you know, on on one side, you also have like people of color who don't necessarily want to be tested, right? Because like things like sixteen nineteen, and there has been a history, a gross history here in the United States of the way people of color were treated years ago, uh, and and experimented on. And and there's like a study that you know the doctors believe that you know we black people have a higher threshold, right? A, a pain threshold. Right. I had I had an instance where I was, you know, getting stitches and the doctor told me, oh, you, you're a tough guy. You don't need you don't need anesthesia. Pharma companies need to do a better job. Uh, we need to do a, you know, agencies need to do a better job of being more representative because that then comes out in the work that we're doing. You know, the, the HCPs and doctors need to have a better but do get a better job of, of training and understanding bias, like all of this stuff. It's not just kind of saying, hey, you know, how do we diversify this one thing or these companies? But how does diversity then work through the work that we do directly down to the people that it impacts? Right. Getting at it on, on the community level. Um, yeah. Sp- speaking of that, you know, this industry, your industry um, is facing perhaps, you know, one of its biggest briefs ever. And that is getting the message out about the COVID-19 vaccine and messaging it and convincing um, the vaccine skeptical and, and hesitant that this is a safe uh, vaccine and efficacious one. And we all know that 20 percent uh, of the population um, that is uh, still hesitant or, or resistant to even, uh, to a large extent, we see a lot of overlap with the black community for good reason. Uh, as, as, you, as, you, as you mentioned, there's a history of um, distrust for the medical establishment because the medical establishment has uh, violated that trust, you know, with uh, its experimentation and so on and so forth. If you were given that assignment, you know, VML YNR Health is given that assignment of messaging the COVID vaccine what what are your priorities in terms of uh, you know convincing the black community? Trust, trust and authenticity, right? It starts with trust, and starting with trust means you have to you need to have a representative who can talk to those people, a representative that that someone will you know feel like yes, I believe this person, right? And it's not going to be like it's not going to be Trump, right? Uh, which is why when, when when he's making all these crazy announcements, people are like, oh no, I'm not going to take this Trump thing. And then of course you have your other sides that are like, oh, I'm not going to take this Democrat drug. It's it's crazy, right? I, the, like they're going to have chips in it. It's going to track us and they're they're trying to kill us. And Bill Gates is trying to kill us. It's, it's crazy talk. Um, so I think it starts to trust, right? And, and for the black community, it is like, how can we actually get someone to speak for them? I don't necessarily know that, you know, getting Obama, you know, Obama sitting in a chair and getting a shot is is going to be the one that does it. But like on a local level, like how do you actually touch these people in a way that really gets them inspired? And again, I think it's going to be like people, influencers in the community, right, who come out. And, 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 and I think it's also like in the research, I think there's also some people who told me, hey, look, you know, I'll trust us when I see, you know, a, a major black institution, you know, you know, stand behind it. It's a tough one. But I think that the biggest thing here is like authenticity. And this is for any brand that does anything, right, where they try to reach someone and get someone to do a particular thing. How can you be authentic? And I think that that starts with being honest with like, how people were being tested, what's happening in, the, in, in, in some of these tests, uh, with these clinical trials were significant, because I don't know that I've seen anyone come out and said, hey, the percentage of, 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 of black people that we actually tested with the shot is this. And the effect that we saw was this. 
right? So I think it's it's showing that. It's also showing that, hey, look, like, yes, the timeline was drastically shortened, right? In the beginning of this pandemic, there was conversation of it taking three to four and five years for, for this type of, you know, uh, you know, thing to come out, vaccine to come out for any type of disease like this. Um, and when people, as soon as people saw like, oh my gosh, this is like six, seven months, like, can I trust that? So outside of just the community as a whole, the black community, then it's about like, okay, well, how do we do a better job of explaining how this process was minimized and visually showing it and explaining to people like, you know, like you would talk to a kindergartner, right? because all these big terms, like no one's going to know what a lot of that means. So I think that is part of the trust vehicle, right? To get people to kind of do a particular thing. It's, it's over explaining and, and showing people that, you know, that, 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 you know, hard work is put into this and a lot of studies and research was putting into this and that it truly is effective because all we're seeing is like a number, Hey, it works. And then it's 90% effective and we're rolling it out and it's what these blocks of ice are going to be with it and all this type of stuff. And it's like, people want to know the details. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I was, I was reading uh, one, one person, uh, one of these uh, social scientists was saying, we've been speaking very much in a, a scientific, you know, ling- lingua. We need to switch to more of a, civ- a civic, you know, kind of lexicon and kind of like you said, the details. Um, but um, so, so what you're saying is to, to a large extent, you know, um, a lot of the concerns of the black community are not unlike the concerns of the rest of the community in terms of the safety of this thing, you know, because of the compressed timelines, um, data that speaks to them in their community. You know, they want to know that it works for people like them. And, and uh, it's, it's not rocket science, you know, yeah. at the end of the yeah. day. Right. Um, so yeah. just a couple more questions here and, and I'll let you go. What does experience design look like in health? Yeah, that is a great question. Uh, when I think about experience design, uh, it's in health. It truly is. How do you, how do you create a more human like engagement with someone? Right. So, so on the health side, um, we are, you know, typically reaching out to two types of people, right? The patient and or consumer uh, and the HCP, right? So I think that oftentimes when we focus on the HCP or the doctor, uh, people don't stop to realize that doctors are real people too, right? Like when the doctor leaves, leaves their office or leaves the hospital and comes home and takes off their white coat, it's almost like they're two people, right? When they're in their white coat, they're just this kind of like, you know, laser focus, like, you know, saving lives and so on and so forth. And they take that white coat off and get to their home. They're on Instagram, just like us. They're on TikTok, just like us, Facebook and CNN. got all these different sites, right? So they're very much real people. Now, granted, we are limited in the types of data that we can actually use to pull from these two, two audiences. This is, that isn't as easy as like a Nike or a Ford or something of that nature. Um, so the way that we reach them has to be in the places they are, but also in ways that are really like engaging. And I think the way the, the kind of, you know, engagement of the future is smarter ways to actually use transformative technology to elicit an emotion from someone, right? So like it is how do we use features like augmented reality to bring a real world experience directly to you and not have you go directly to someplace else to try to get it or have to leave your house to get it. It is how we, you know, rethink and reimagine chatbot type of experiences and talking with the brand and what a conversation with the brand looks like in a digital world, whether that be on Alexa, Google Home, or on my iPad or, 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 or my laptop. So it's rethinking the way we're, we're approaching that form of engagement. Um, you often hear me talk about three things, right? When I talk about experience that matters, it's design, innovation, uh, and data. You know, it's more than just a persona because I think we all get caught up in just building a persona and being done with it. But how do we take what we've learned and then allow that to fuel the creative? And design isn't necessarily doing so perfect stuff, but it's how do we actually create around the way people engage with content and consume content? We know that on average, people scroll, um, I think it's 76 
feet per day, right? That's the length of a 16-wheeler tractor trailer, and that's 5.2 miles a year. That's a lot. So how do we develop around that? And then when I talk about innovation, it's not necessarily reinventing the world, but how do we make a subtle change to drive or garner someone's attention so they see it? So when you put all of these together, it then creates experiences that are that are that are magical and memorable for people. Oftentimes, health gets kind of hit with the, oh, well, they're 10 years behind everybody else uh, in terms of digital and in, in what they do in that. And I think to some degree, part of that is because they're in a race to be second when it comes to innovation, right? No one wants to lead the charge. But when that one person does, everyone then kind of falls in line. But they're also smarter around the approach to garnering that attention, what it looks like, and, and making sure that when they reach someone, it's in a way that's really authentic, right, and, and matters. But I think we're, you know, we're, you know, at VML Y&R, we're seeing, we're, we're getting out some incredibly inspiring creative and solutions to, to some of our brands. Uh, and in some cases, or many cases, solutions that are way ahead of the rest of the ad- advertising world as a whole. So this is, this is, it's, it's been really exciting to be here and to be able to kind of launch some of these solutions you'll see over the next coming months. Great. We, we look forward to that. And uh, speaking of that, what, what are your priorities for the coming year on the you know, DNI front, but just uh, also in general? It's funny, you know, throughout our careers, I think in, in the space of advertising, we get caught up with success being measured by awards and press and, and money and, and titles uh, and how much business we've won. Uh, late in my career, I've understood uh, that to not be what drives me. Uh, and success for me is how many people uh, that are around me that I can actually influence and, and the people that I can make an impact on in terms of their lives, whether that be, you know, through the work that I do, and then, then, you know, in the workplace, it's how I can actually create a more diverse environment and help other people that look like me. So for me, it's it's really, you know, moving forward with that in mind and, and figuring out smarter ways to actually send the elevator back down. Uh, and create more in- inclusive environments um, for my work and, and what we do for our brands and clients. It is, you know, ensuring that that we are truly ahead of the curve, right? I, you know, came to be my YNR because um, I wanted to make a, a, a vast impact on this space uh, from a creative and technological point of view. At the end of the day, when you're able to do, you know, really incredible transformative work, like the awards and all that stuff comes later. So my focus really is is uh, just doing incredible work um, and leaning forward on technology and figuring unique ways to kind of reach people. You know, you're certainly using your platform for good. And, uh, you know, we're all really sort of uh, cheering you on. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to thank you for, for joining us. Uh, you're really helping to create a, a more diverse environment uh, and an inclusive environment benefits us all. So uh, yeah. really appreciate you. everything you're doing, man. Thank you. I, uh, you know, look, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be, to be engaging in this conversation with you again, and we'll gladly welcome it a third, fourth, fifth, and sixth time. Awesome. Awesome. I look forward to that. Uh, well, if you enjoy this uh, podcast as much as I did, everybody give it a like, subscribe to us, uh, help others uh, discover the channel. That'll do it. Uh, I want to thank, uh, thank you, Walter, for, for joining me once again. It was, uh, it was really terrific. Awesome. Thanks so much. Sure, and uh, we'll see you next time, everybody, on the MNM Podcast. Take care. 